welcome back to the podcast or if this is your first time here then thank you for joining us this is the doula's guide to dot 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 with me meg also known as the dungaree doula it's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy birth and parenting my aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come if you missed the first couple of episodes and would like to know more about me then go and check out episode one for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth preparation. This week's episode is all about the golden hour, which is the hour immediately after birth. So I spoke about this topic last weekend as part of a really amazing virtual birth festival that was hosted by the Birth Uprising, who I did my hypnobirthing teacher training with. Um, So there were two full days of talks by birth professionals, and mine was all about this wonderful topic that I love going on about. (laughs) If you missed the festival, or you just hadn't heard of it, um, I'll leave some links below, because you can still sign up and head to the group to re-watch any of the talks that took place, and there was so much stuff that was covered, and it was all completely free, I forgot to say that, it was all free, so make sure you go and you check that out. So we'll be touching on a few different topics today, we'll be talking about skin to skin, birth in your placenta and cord clamping as the main ones but I'll also talk about some other things to consider such as the vitamin K injection, the newborn checks, initiating feeding and as always I'll pop some fantastic further reading in the show notes so make sure you go and check those things out too and yeah let's get into it. So the golden hour as I said is that hour immediately after birth People take a lot of time to prepare for their birth and to prepare for postpartum, hopefully. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, I assume that you are putting in some effort to the sorts of things. But a lot of people don't really think about this little in-between part where you're kind of still in that bubble of pregnancy and birth but also postpartum technically because you've had your baby Um, and a lot of stuff happens within this hour and a lot of things that we need to think about we need to plan for we need to consider some of this stuff obviously I spoke about in the birth planning session in the birth planning episode even so um, if you haven't listened to that yet then I definitely recommend it and obviously some of the things may be sort of repeated but in this episode we'll be going into them in more depth so they'll help you make the choices to put onto your birth plan. So the first thing I want to talk about is immediate skin to skin. So when your baby is born you want to pop them onto your bare chest, pop their naked body onto your bare chest. Um, Obviously if you want to protect your modesty some people give birth completely butt naked, a lot of people give birth completely butt naked. The amount of times I've walked into um, a birth space as a doula and they've gone, excuse me, I'm naked, like, (laughs) I hope you don't mind. I'm like, I I don't care. It's part of the deal, isn't it? So most people that I've supported have given birth naked. But I actually didn't. I wore um, this, like, little green sort of nighty that I got from Primark when I was pregnant the first time around. And I wore it and it was so comfy um that I kept it and the second time around I wore it again and now I feel like I can never get rid of it even though it's this like ugly little tiny green nighty from Primark that I'll probably never wear again so whatever you're wearing my point I've gone off on a tangent my point is that you can still do skin to skin you can be still wearing something you can have a blanket around you a towel around you a dressing gown around you if you want a bra on if you've already got it on you can keep those things on you just want to have your baby's skin as much of their skin as possible against your skin like put them inside your t-shirt if you want to as long as you can see the head and you're not you're not blocking any of their airways or anything then that's fine do whatever you want to do if you want to protect your modesty you might not care by that point though <laughs> um There are loads and loads of benefits to immediate skin to skin and that is why we really recommend doing it. So in hospitals now, if you're giving birth in a hospital, it's actually like part of their policy. They they recommend doing immediate skin to skin as well. So you're not going to go into the birth space and they'll be like, what's this freak on about? Like what skin to skin? Why? They're going to know. They're going to want you to do it. 
So loads and loads of benefits for both the baby and the person who's given birth. Um, one of the main ones is it eases the womb to well transition. So if you think about what it's like in the womb for a baby compared to what it's like when they come out into the world, this is how you can ease that transition for them. When, because when they're in the womb, they're constantly really warm. It's constantly dark. They can hear your heartbeat all the time. They're being constantly fed. They're constantly being rocked. They never have to sort of deal with anything basically and then they come out into the world and all of a sudden there's bright lights there's lots of noise there's lots of different voices they're feeling cold for the first time they might start to feel hungry for the first time they've both just been through this big ordeal of being born um so you can ease that transition by putting them onto your chest and it replicates the feelings that they would have had in the womb they can hear your heartbeat again they're warm they're hugged they're rocked they're surrounded by you and your love and it's darker so you're replicating what it's like in the womb to ease that transition so that the first sort of their first impressions of being alive, being outside, um, uh, a bit easier than if they were just born and immediately whisked away and weighed and cord cut and stuff like that, like it used to be back in the day. We don't do that anymore. So immediate skin to skin. It also regulates the baby's heart rate. It regulates their temperature. It helps them with taking their first breath. Researchers found that it stimulates digestion and an interest in feeding because like we said, they've been fed by the placenta for so long and then you put them on skin to skin and what happens is they can smell the milk. So it stimulates digestion and that interest in feeding. Helps to initiate breastfeeding because of this. So if you're wanting to breastfeed, um, having immediate skin to skin helps and you get a huge oxytocin boost so we've spoke about oxytocin absolutely loads throughout probably every episode of this podcast but oxytocin is this amazing hormone it's a driving force behind labor behind giving birth the driving force behind giving birth to your placenta and one of the main hormones behind breastfeeding so it's incredible so you get this huge oxytocin boost which you need because you need your uterus to re-stimulate so that you can expel the placenta and again you need the oxytocin if you're going to be breastfeeding so you get that big boost by putting them on your skin to skin um and you can do this in most circumstances the only time when it might not be recommended to do skin to skin is if in advance you know that you you have certain medical conditions that mean that after the birth you're going to be in sort of a bad way or you're going to need some sort of assistance or the same for your baby if your baby has any health conditions and they know that they're going to be born and they're going to need certain assistance um it might not be appropriate to do that while they're having skin to skin but again it might be so it's always worth asking it might be that even if your baby you know that your baby's going to need some assistance after they're born they might be able to do it while they're on your chest and the reason i mention that is because a lot of people think that if your baby comes out and they need some oxygen or they need help breathing that they need to be whisked away um, but that's not always the best thing for them to do. Actually, if you think about it, if your baby needs some oxygen, surely the best thing to do is to give them it while they're on your skin because you put them onto your body and they'll have their temperature regulated and they'll be stimulated to take their first breath. So it makes more sense for the doctors and the midwives to actually bring any equipment that might be needed to you and to do those sorts of things on your chest. It also means that you can keep the cord intact, which is really, really important, um, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so it's definitely something to think about you can also have it after cesareans you can have it after assisted deliveries um, so it's really great and it's like a vital tool basically and it's something that you can use throughout parenting as well like these benefits of skin to skin they're, they're limitless they last for as long as you or your kiddos are comfortable doing it like I still have skin to skin time with my 
I have quite a lot of skin to skin time with my youngest, who is almost two. She always wants to get in the shower with me and be carried in the shower, <laughs> so we do that. Skin to skin doesn't lose its benefits. It's really great for regulating small babies. And it's beneficial for your other parent or carer too. It's really great for them to do skin to skin as well, but after this golden hour. So you have it for an, an hour. That is why we call it the golden hour. It's this golden hour of skin to skin. And then afterwards, you will probably want to get up and go for a wee or have a little shower or something like that. You might want your baby to go and get weird at this point. So have that happen and then pass them to your partner and get them to do skin to skin because it initiates their bonding as well. So it's really important. And then also the benefits of regulating the temperature and things like that still happen from that other parent or carer. So skin to skin, super important. Um, something to consider. Pop it on your birth plan. Um, and again, like I said, if there's any situation that you're not sure about, then talk it through with midwives, talk it through with doctors, talk it through with your obstetricians um, and see if there's a way that it can be um, deemed necessary for you to have it. The sort of next immediate thing that you're going to want to think about is cord clamping. Um, so you have a lot of different options with this. Obviously, back in the day, they used to immediately clamp the cord, basically. As soon as the baby was out, they'd be there waiting with their special little scissors and the clamp and they'd just clamp it straight away. Research shows that early clamping often causes um, iron deficiency anemia, which is something that affects up to 43% of children in the developed world. That's from the um, World Health Organization. And it's something that a lot of children have. And the research links that to immediate cord clamping. So it's definitely something that we don't recommend anymore. And like I said um, in the last bit, I know it's something that no one really wants to think about their baby needing any sort of help when they're born or anything like that. But that's why I was talking about how important it is that if your baby does need any sort of help or assistance, if you can have that immediate skin to skin, that's going to bring you just an extra ton of benefits rather than immediately sort of clamping the cord and taking them away. And the reason for that is because when your baby is born, 30% of their blood is still within the placenta and the cord transferring into your baby. So your babies are only born with 66% of their blood. So that's quite a lot of blood to not have. Imagine if you were just walking around with 30% less blood, like you'd feel pretty rubbish, wouldn't you? So especially as a newborn, it's really not recommended to immediately clamp that cord because then you're depriving them of 30% of their blood quota, which is a heck of a lot. So nowadays, most hospitals recommend delayed cord clamping and this varies from hospital to hospital. In some hospitals, it's two minutes. In some hospitals, it's three. In some, it's five. Um, and this is good, but it's not always enough. Um, most babies, within five minutes, the cord will have gone white. All of that blood will be in your baby. So great at five minutes if you want to clamp the cord, clamp the cord. But it's not always enough. Um, it can take up to half an hour. In some cases, it can take even longer. Um, and so that is why I always recommend waiting for white. That literally just means wait until the cord has gone completely white and stopped pulsing so that you know that all of the blood has gone into your baby. And you can, again, put this on your birth plan. Put, I want to wait for white, talk to the midwives. And it's not something weird. They're not going to be like, we don't know what that is. They'll be absolutely fine. More and more people are requesting it as more and more research comes out, um, as more and more, as the word gets spread around more and more. Um, it's something that a lot of people are requesting and a lot of people are doing because we know the importance of babies getting their full blood quota. Some people just say that they'd like to wait until the placenta's been born, just so that no one's sort of interrupting their bubble um, because the conditions that I needed to bear people centre are again sort of staying in that oxytocin filled bubble. So you can always just say, I don't want to clamp the cord until I've birthed the placenta and that's fine as well. That's what I did the second time around because I did feel the first time that 
sort of getting these little questions and getting people in my face and stuff trying to clamp the cord even though I'd waited for white um I hadn't birthed the placenta yet so the second time around I was like just leave me alone I'll do it myself I'll birth the placenta and then we'll clamp it after that so it's completely up to you um but definitely waiting for white is something that I would recommend everyone to do so yeah it is for everybody you can do it for any sort of birth and this blood is just, it's really important. We really want babies to get it. It's full of stem cells. It's full of white blood cells, which fight infection. It increases the hemoglobin levels within your babies. It contributes to safe blood pressure level and to oxygenation. So it's a really, really good idea um, to wait for white and to have it on your birth plan and to have discussed it with your birth partner and things like that. Just to make sure that nobody's sort of coming in and being like, right, should we clamp the cord now? And you're just like, yeah, whatever. And you've not thought to check. Getting someone to check that it's gone white is, yeah, a really good idea. And then the next thing is birthing the placenta, like we've just said. So throughout all of this, like I've said at the beginning, you want to be maintaining skin-to-skin -skin contact. Um, and then you've got to birth the placenta. So labour isn't over yet. This is the magical third stage of labour. Um, what happens is your uterus starts to contract again to expel the placenta. Um, it doesn't feel like birthing a baby. It doesn't feel like the contractions that you've just been having to get a baby out. And it doesn't generally hurt. Some people have after pains, which are, again, just feeling like cramping. Um, but it doesn't generally feel painful. It doesn't generally feel anywhere near as intense as birthing your baby. Your placenta is just, it's like the size of a dinner plate and it's really jelly-like and soft. And it sounds disgusting, but it, it kind of just flops out. You might not even feel it, um, but most people just describe it as, yeah, just feeling like sort of some jelly, like flopping out. Sounds so disgusting, but if you've given birth, you'll agree with me. If you haven't yet, you've got that to look forward to. It generally happens within the first hour, and it generally does happen within this golden hour. So like I said, we're trying to maintain that oxytocin flood environment. And if you haven't got that, if you've got a lot of stress going on around you, all the bright lights, lots of people talking, people coming in and out of your birth space, um, that's not generally conducive to birth in the placenta. So that might be why. Um, but obviously, sometimes people do have things like retained placenta, where it just doesn't come out. But again, even if these things happen, um, they can be rectified quite easily. So the best way to encourage placental birth is to create oxytocin, like we said. So keeping that environment right, having skin to skin, like we said, and feeding our babies, like we said, oxytocin is the driving force behind breastfeeding as well as all these other things. And you create loads of it when you're feeding. So if you're planning to breastfeed, initiating that feeding is going to create this oxytocin and that's going to speed up getting your placenta out. You might be offered an injection to speed things up as well. And this is called active management. And you might be thinking, oh, that sounds good. You know, we'll just get it all over with and then I can settle into life with my newborn. I don't have to go through all of the contractions and things again like that. But like I said, it's not painful and there's no risk to waiting unless obviously you was having like a postpartum hemorrhage or something, then they would rush to get it out. But there, there are risks involved with having the injection. So the injection is synthetic oxytocin. And um, so it's the same stuff they use to induce you. So if you was being induced and having a drip, it's synthetic oxytocin, it's the same stuff, but obviously it's in a much, much smaller dose. So it's a um, injection that they give you in your thigh. It can make you feel sick or be sick, it can increase your blood pressure, it can cause your afterpains to be a lot worse, it can cause delayed bleeding. And research actually found that you had a higher chance of returning to hospital due to blood loss if you have active management, um, which is just weird because obviously the point of it is to sort of stop the bleeding and get the placenta out, but you you have more chance of having sort of you're basically delaying the blood loss i guess um and you could need to be readmitted to hospital with it it also involves cord traction which comes with its own risk cord traction is where they give you the injection and then they literally physically pull the cord and massage your sort of stomach uterus muscles to try and get it out 
along with what the injection's doing. And that also, again, can be really painful and it can cause a postpartum hemorrhage. And it can also cause a uterine inversion, which is where your uterus kind of falls in on itself. And this is obviously like a massive medical emergency. The risk of that is small, but it's just something that can happen due to cord traction. The benefits to active management, so the benefits to having the injection are that it prevents a postpartum hemorrhage. So if you have got any sort of really heavy bleeding, you would be recommended to have this injection because it can stop that um, and it can get the placenta out and it can sort of mean that you don't end up needing any sort of surgery. So that is a benefit if you were suffering from heavy bleeding or if you had a lot of risk factors that meant that you might suffer from really heavy bleeding, then it might be worth considering. But otherwise... There's no harm in waiting. You might as well just wait, especially if you haven't been induced or anything like that. So you haven't been, if you haven't already had any of these drugs in your system, then there's not much point in introducing them now and introducing the possible side effects and things like that. A lot of the time, if you're in hospital, they recommend active management as sort of the first part of call for a lot of labour wards, which is just quite shocking, really, because what's the harm in waiting? Why are we introducing these drugs to people that don't need them? But like with everything, it's completely your choice. I will leave some extra reading in the show notes about active management and what's involved in it. And if you do feel like that, if you just get to the end of labour and you're like, that felt like a slog, I want this to be over with, give me the injection, then have the injection. Like, don't feel bad about it. It, it, It's completely your choice. It's how you feel in advance and it's how you feel in the moment. Like I say in every episode, you can change your mind about any of these things at any point. If you don't like the sound of it now don't plan to have it but in the, if in the moment you really want it it'll always be there even if you're at home if you're having a home birth they'll always have it with them even if you didn't want it you can change your mind at any point if your placenta doesn't come out like i mentioned a retained placenta this does require a trip to theatre for them to manually remove it um so they will sort of go into your cervix go into your uterus and sort of scoop it out it's obviously more medical than that but essentially they're going in and they're retrieving it and they're pulling it out. So yeah, it's not the nicest thing, um, but it's also not the worst thing in the world either. It's something that can't necessarily be helped in most cases. So if it happens, it just happens. And yeah, a quick trip to trip to theatre and it'll be all sorted out. And then you've got to think about what you want to do with your placenta. Um, so if you're in the hospital, they generally just chuck it away unless you say otherwise. And so it's worth knowing that because if you don't want to keep it, but you want to see it, you need to let them know so that they don't just chuck it away. Because in my first birth, I think I, mes- I think I mentioned this in a different episode, but they just chucked it away and I was really gutted because I really wanted to see it. Um, and they just chucked it because they thought that I didn't want it because I said I wasn't keeping it. So make sure they know. I know for some of you, you're probably thinking, just get that in the bin. I absolutely do not want to see it. But it's quite fascinating. Um it's growing it's growing your baby for like nine months it's fed them it's this incredible organ that your body just made from nothing it's quite cool to look at and if you ask the midwives they'll explain all the different bits explain what they're for so it's really quite fascinating um but it's completely up to you and then obviously if you're keeping it you can eat it you can get it made into capsules you can get it made into balms and tinctures you can get art prints made out of it you can plant it in the garden you can do whatever you want with it. Um, so think about that and consider what you're going to do with it. Because again, it'll probably be within this um, golden hour that you're giving birth to it. And if you are keeping it, you generally need to have like an ice box or something like that nearby. You also don't have to cord clamp at all. And you can just keep your baby attached to your placenta. And that is called a lotus birth. And some people just do that. And they carry it around in a little bag and they cover it in salts and herbs and things like that. And then they um, just let it detach whenever it detaches. So generally within about four days up to two weeks sometimes it can take a little bit longer than just the sort of stubby bit of cord to fall off but 
it can take up to two weeks. So you do have to carry around a placenta for all that time. But if you want to do it, you can do it. It's called a lotus birth. And then just the other sort of little things that you're going to want to think about during the golden hour are vitamin K and initiating feeding. And then obviously, like I said, the newborn checks and things like that can all happen afterwards. So vitamin K is given to all babies routinely in the UK. Um, if they're born, obviously, with a midwife or a healthcare professional present. Um, it's given to prevent a really super rare uh, blood clotting disorder uh, with a name that I cannot pronounce. It's hema something. So I'll drop a note of that into the show notes because I cannot pronounce it. Um, and it's given as an injection in your baby's thigh or it's given as oral drops. If you have the oral drops, they must be followed up. So you give them, I know in Leeds, this is how they give them. And I think it's the same everywhere. They give a second dose at seven days and a third dose at 28 days. Uh, but I'm not 100% sure. So if you're doing the drops, obviously, double check. Or you can just give none at all. So some people don't give any vitamin K at all. So there's no risks to giving it, except for the injection site infection risks. So if you think about with any injection, with any vaccine, or when you give blood or anything like that, there's a very, very, very small risk of infection at the injection site. So that's the same. There also may be like a small pain or a tiny bruise or something like that. Um, but there are no risks to actually giving the vitamin K. If one in 10,000 babies are born with this really rare blood clotting and um, bleeding disorder and there are signs that you can look for to see if they have it and then get it treated but they can be difficult to spot so if you're thinking of declining the vitamin k injection then definitely read the links in the show notes because they explain the different things that you're going to want to look out for and then if you do spot it they can get it sorted you can take them into hospital you can give them the vitamin k you can sort it so it's completely up to you people sort of have different opinions on it but there's not really that much research done on it because like with everything with that's to do with pregnancy and babies they just don't want to fund it they don't want to risk something going wrong so there's not loads of research on it but dr sarah wickham is like an absolute expert on vitamin k and she's even written books on it so i always recommend her website and that will be in the show notes so give it a read and decide how you want to get it given to your baby or if you don't want to give it to them at all and then, yeah, once you've figured out your preferences for all of that sort of stuff, you want to start thinking about initiating feeding, especially if you're planning on breastfeeding. So I won't talk loads about this because I'm going to do an episode on breastfeeding, which will cover preparing to breastfeed and initiating breastfeeding. But yeah, just I'll just say that the best ways to initiate feeding are just the things we've mentioned, skin to skin, keeping the environment right, getting that oxytocin flowing so that your breast milk can flow. Babies will naturally want to suckle and feed. It is a new skill, obviously. It's a new skill that they're learning. It's a new skill that you're learning. So you do have to be patient. But they do naturally have this reflex that they want to suckle and they want to feed. And they find your milk because they can smell it. Apparently, colostrum smells like amniotic fluid, which is obviously what's been feeding them, where they've been getting fed over the past like nine months. So they, they can actually sense where that is in your body and they will want to get it out. They will be trying to get it out. There's this phenomenon that is just insane. It's called the breast crawl. And it's where you put your baby on your stomach, skin to skin, and your brand new newborn baby, this is not like bigger babies, this is newborns, and they can use their um, foot thrust reflex to literally crawl up to your nipple to get to it, to be able to try and get that milk out. So there's like so many videos, if you look on YouTube, um, if you search for like newborn breast crawl of babies doing this, it's mad to see. But it's because they know where this is and they want to be fed. So they're going to be trying their best to get it. So yeah, just trying to stay relaxed, keeping them close, giving them space, giving them time and just trying to get things off to the best start. 
if you're bottle feeding, you don't have to do it in this first hour, just look for signs of hunger. So like putting their hand in their mouth or trying to root, trying to get to your nipple, because obviously even if you're not breastfeeding, you've still got that colostrum, so they can still smell it, so they might be trying to get it. Look for these signs and then you can introduce your bottle. And yeah, that's it really. Like I said, I'm going to do another episode um, all about that. So that'll be coming in the next few weeks. So definitely listen out for that if you're interested in breastfeeding. And that's like everything you need to consider really. Um, the next things are obviously you'd be having your newborn checks and then either going home or the midwives leaving if you're already at home. These things happen after the golden hour. So you don't need to have these things happening in that sort of newborn bubble little hour. You want to soak in all of that skin to skin and then wait until afterwards to wear them and get them checked. Newborn checks don't even have to be done straight away. They can be done within the first 72 hours. So if you're in hospital, they generally do them before you leave because they might as well. Um, but if you're at home, it depends on if the midwife is trained to do them or not. Um, and if they're not, they'll just send someone the next day or the day after. They're not super urgent. They're just checking the hips, the heart, the eyes, hearing, and then superficial checks like making sure they've got like, the right body parts. So they've got like five fingers on each hand and five toes and things like that. 